Well, what is going on? Pastor Chris Steven in the house. Man, it's been a couple weeks since we last did the podcast, continuing the conversation. I'm super excited about this week. I feel like I say that every week. I'm super excited about that specific week, but I have to admit to you, I'm really excited about this week. Why, you ask? Because we have a good friend of the harbor who is going to be uh, presenting God's word, who's going to be opening up God's word, uh, my good friend Armand, and uh, he's going to be sharing on the podcast today about what it means to go from the harbor. Remember, we've been talking about what it means to come to, and then I shared the last episode on what it means to go from regarding groups and that we grow in groups, we gather in groups so we can go. And so Armand's going to kind of finish this out and talk about what it means to go from this place. And so I'm really excited for you to hear this. I hope you're inspired with this. I hope you're encouraged with this. And I hope that in our time together, you can be inspired to go from the harbor and to preach the gospel of Jesus. So without further ado, here is my good friend Armand, episode five of the harbor continuing the conversation i hope you enjoy hey everybody my name is armando rake and i am a part of the student board here at the harbor it is such an honor and blessing to be here with you all today. And whether it's your first time um, here listening to the podcast or you've been listening to every one of our episodes, I am so glad that you took the time to be here today and listen in. I'm so excited to be wrapping up this series that we've been in. And in this series, we talked first about how the harbor is a place to come to. Then we discussed who we are as a community, followers of Christ, convinced of his love, changed by his love, and communicators of his love. After that, we went into the maturity and diversity of this community by diving into our spiritual gifts and how we can use them to build God's kingdom and for the betterment of those around us. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of community and began to turn into what we will be discussing today. And so today we are going to enter the last part of this series and discuss how the harbor is a place to go from. Now, I do want to preface our conversation by saying this. Today's conversation is going to be more of a family talk. You might have been walking with Jesus for a long time. You might just be starting out, or maybe you got, you know, sent this link for the podcast and you have no idea what to expect. But regardless of where you're at, I encourage you and invite you to lean into this conversation. And if you're at all intrigued by any chance or would just love to talk about what we discuss here today, um, please feel free to reach out to us over here at the Harbor. Man, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am 
to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Specifically, simply just talking about the harbor, about the harbor. Over the past year, this community has been home for me, but I kind of want to take you on the journey that has led me here today. It was a Tuesday night, and I remember parking outside in, in the lot right outside of the harbor, and my hands were like sweating. I was so nervous. My social anxiety was going insane because I'm about to go to church for the first time in a while. So I formulate this plan in my head, right? I'm going to walk in, find a seat, keep my head down, and just be to myself for this first service. And so I get out of my car, walk up to the door, and right away my plan falls through because I'm greeted with a big smile by our very own Stephen Slayer. And my anxiety is still on high, but we chat for a bit, and it's a great conversation. And then service starts, and it was absolutely amazing. But once it ends, I'm still trying to rush out of the door. So right when service ends, I'm walking out, and Pastor Chris is actually standing at the double doors right before you leave. And so as I'm walking out, Chris is just like, hey, Armand. Yo, I started freaking out. I was like, I don't even know who this dude is. How does he know my name? I was thinking, man, this church, this church is different. And then I came to realize that uh, Chris actually didn't have mind reading powers. It was just that I had my name tag on. But like after that first service, I still knew that something was different about this community and in the best way. I continued to see the effort, love, and care that this community showed as I continued to be drawn back to this place. One week turned into two, and then three, and then I started getting lunches with Chris and Steven. I joined the amazing tech team. Shout out to Kate, Chase, Justin, Zach, and David. I joined a small group where I met some of the most sincere and kind-hearted people that I now call my brothers. And I could list so many people here that I'm so grateful to have met and built great relationships with. And these were not just surface-level relationships, but real, genuine relationships. And in my highs and lows, I found kindness accountability, and love from this community. When I got an internship, I was met with encouragement. When I was struggling with heartbreak and anxiety, I was met with consolation. When I didn't have the words to communicate how I was feeling, I was met with open ears and loving hearts. This community of strangers became my family. Throughout all of last year, I saw so much spiritual growth, and I thank God for this community that He blessed me with, this community that helped me every step of the way. And so the school year flies by, and eventually we head into the summer. I was super hyped for the summer. I mean, no classes, vacations, and a nice break. It was much needed and appreciated. 
But for some reason, I could sense that I was about to enter a season that I was not expecting. I knew that we probably wouldn't be having harbor gatherings throughout the summer. So my mindset was like, all good. I'm going to go out into my community and share the good news and use what I have learned to share the love of Jesus. So I was like, I'm going to go out and get another internship. I'm going to serve at Bay Hope a ton. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help people build a relationship with Christ. Well, yeah, my summer did not go as planned. I didn't get another internship. I helped out at Bay Hope a ton, but I was struggling with a lot of things spiritually and felt so unequipped to help in any form or fashion. And I actually ended up hurting some of my closest friends because I was so focused on doing things for Christ in my own strength instead of just being for Christ. I wrestled with pride, selfish ambition, arrogance, doubting God and his plan, doubting if any of this was even worth it. I got frustrated with God at times. I was spending time in his word. I was talking to him in prayer. I was going to church. I made time for my community, and I felt like I was still doing nothing right. And this went on for the entire summer. A time when I thought I would go from the harbor and do great things for Christ, just as he helped me do during the school year, but that just wasn't the case. I was clinging to results instead of clinging to Christ. There were days and even weeks when I felt like my heart just wasn't burning for him. And one night, I just remember bawling and breaking down from anxiety, feeling overwhelmed and feeling like a failure to God. But for some reason, whenever I felt like giving up on God, He would remind me, He has never and will never give up on me. And so sitting in my bed at 3 a.m. on a summer night, Tears in my eyes running down my face and just feeling absolutely drained, longing for my heart to burn for God again. I just remember praying, do it again, God. Do it again. I came across this quote while watching a sermon later in the summer. It's by Tyler Staten, the lead pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland. And he said this, The great temptation of the spiritual life is the thought that I will be the first person who ever does it up into the right. But the great invitation of the spiritual life is to believe that you too one day will have a legacy of grace. I'm going to repeat that one more time. The great temptation of the spiritual life is the thought that I will be the first person who ever does it up and to the right, whoever lives the perfect Christian life. But the great invitation of the spiritual life is to believe that you too one day will have a legacy of God's grace. 
This was an excellent reminder for me that the Christian life is a lot less about having people see the good we do and a lot more about having people see the God who does the good in us. As we walk on this journey, I think it's so essential for us to stop and be reminded of this, the importance of practicing his presence. Today we will be in Ephesians 4. <clears throat> Today we will be in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32. So if you have a Bible or your phone, feel free to go there. If you are driving, please do not do that. Wait um, till you get home or um, feel free to just listen. But here's some background on Ephesians 4. So in this letter, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. Now, if you're not familiar, Paul was one of the most influential apostles, but this wasn't always the case. He was formerly known as Saul, a Pharisee who was known for hunting down and killing Christians. He persecuted anyone and anything that followed Jesus. And it was on the road to Damascus where he encountered God and was soon after saved, transformed by Christ, truly trusting and surrendering his life to him. Paul spread the gospel to several different areas and churches during his time of ministry. With the church of Ephesus, Paul had a very effective missionary presence for their over two years. Initially, the church of Ephesus was considered the epicenter of worship for most Greek and Roman gods. But during Paul's time of ministry there, many of them became followers of Jesus. And years later, Paul is writing this letter to them. Now, this letter is divided into two parts, and I love how Ruth Paxson, an esteemed Christian author, describes this divide. She says, Ephesians 1 through 3 tells us how God sees us in Christ, in the heavenlies. And Ephesians 4 through 6 tells us how men should see us, how, how men should see Christ in us on earth. Essentially, it is Paul summarizing the whole gospel story and how it should reshape our lives. In this particular passage of Ephesians 4, Paul is giving a very valuable and practical explanation of how to live out a Christian life, or in other words, practice God's presence. Now, this is a fairly lengthy passage, so we're going to break it up into two parts. And so let's start by reading Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you, were, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 
you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul opens up this passage by explaining how we, as in our old selves, used to live, and futile thinking, darkened understanding, self-indulgence, and separation from the life of God. But as we have come into relationship with Christ, we should no longer look like the rest of the world. We are called to die to our old self and put on the new self. And just to be clear, this is not a one-time thing. We must choose him every day and moment because he is not going to force us to. He gives us free will. But when we relentlessly choose him to the best of our ability and truly surrender to him again and again, we see transformation. I absolutely love what Dr. Thomas Constable said in his commentary, specifically about verse 23. He says, notice the verb be made. The verb is passive, which emphasizes that God is at work in us and is ultimately responsible for the change. As we come into relationship with Christ and then go out into the world, this is so important to understand. We have to understand that this change, this transformation in us is God at work, not just us flipping the switch. In Psalm 16, 2, David sings, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. You see, David is acknowledging that even at his very best, the good he did meant nothing without God. And so as David did in this psalm, and this brings me to my first point, we must acknowledge our brokenness. Going back to the passage in Ephesians 4, while Paul is emphasizing to us that we should conduct ourselves in a manner that represents the work God has done in us, it is also a reminder to look back and remember as we go from the harbor or our church and interact with others outside of this community, how do we treat them? What do we think about them? Specifically people who might not follow Jesus. And be honest, do we see them as God's beloved, his forgiven, because that's who they are? Or do we see them as less because they might not act or believe what we do. Well, let me be honest, it's a struggle. I really struggle with this, and I truly believe that at times it holds me back from building genuine relationships with the people outside of my community. That said, I thank God for this reminder. Romans 2.1 says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. I was there too! 
You were there too. We were all there too. As followers of Christ, once upon a time, we didn't know God. We were insensitive to God. We lived lives of self-indulgence and we were lost. But when we came into relationship with Christ, acknowledging him as Lord and Savior, we were found, not because of our doing, but because of his relentless pursuit of us in love. So who are we to judge? Instead, I hope and pray we would have compassion for the world and take a second to stop and just say to ourselves, hey, I was there and God found me. He loved me as I was and he loves me as I am and it is no different for that person. The intimacy and relationship we have with God does not make us any better than an individual who does not have a relationship with him. It also doesn't mean that we do not experience brokenness any less than anyone else. As we come to this understanding and become more and more aware of our brokenness, I truly believe that helps us to become more and more aware of our blessedness and in turn helps us to be a blessing to others. That said, let's see what that looks like. Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, I want to make a quick note here. Many of my spiritual mentors have made it a point to emphasize and acknowledge the importance of the word therefore in scripture. Whenever you see this word, think of it as a big sign that tells you, okay, this is the effect of the previous passage or section of scripture you just read. So in this case, Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 24 is the causation and Ephesians 4 verses 25 through 32 is the effect. Starting in verse 25, Paul is exhorting us with five different things to do as we put on our new selves. Now, I think there could be a sermon on each of these, but I'm just going to give a quick summary and then touch on each of them briefly. The first exhortation in verse 25, do not lie, but speak in truth. I think this one is fairly straightforward, but I just want to give a quick reminder Honesty is truly the best policy. 
As we are honest with those around us in accordance with God's word, we can unify this community, our community, and those outside of this community on our foundation of Christ. The second exhortation, verse 26 and 27. Do not sin when you are angry, but deal with it quickly by bringing it to God. This way you do not give the enemy an opportunity to lead you further into sin. Now let me be clear, anger in itself is not a sin, but our response can be. If someone does us wrong and we respond with hate or rage or do wrong back to them, that is sin. How we respond to adversity, insults, and persecution is vital to our walk with Christ. If we cannot respond in a manner that glorifies and honors God, what makes us think anyone outside of our community will? The third exhortation, verse 28, Rid yourself of all self-centeredness. You shall no longer take, but instead give. As we have come into relationship with Christ, we die to our old selves and ways of self-indulgence. We should no longer place our focus on how we can be served or take what we want, but instead place our focus on how we can serve and help others. After all, that's what Jesus did. Mark 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The fourth exhortation, verses 29 and 30. Use your words not to tear others down, but to build them up. Our words can bring grace or grief. They can be encouraging or hurtful. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. The words we use are powerful and they matter, so we all need to be mindful of that. And finally, the fifth exhortation in verse 31 and 32. Replace your vices with your virtues. Our vices being bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander and every form of malice. And our virtues being kindness, compassion and forgiveness. Now, of all of these virtues in the fifth exhortation, one of them really stood out to me. In fact, I believe that every one of Paul's exhortations in this passage can be encapsulated in this specific virtue. One word, compassion. And so this brings me to my second point. We must choose compassion. This word compassion, right? I think many of us have heard it before. Maybe even used it once or twice, right? Personally, I always thought this word meant to be kind and sympathetic, or I associated it with more of a feeling. But that is just the surface level meaning of the word. In fact, there's a much more deeper meaning. Compassion is defined as the human disposition that fuels acts of kindness and mercy. Compassion is a form of love that is aroused within us when we are confronted with those who suffer or are vulnerable. Compassion often produces action 
to alleviate suffering. Now, I'm about to give the Greek word for compassion, but the pronunciation is a little bit tough, so please show me some grace and bear with me. All right. The Greek word, splachnizomai, that's pretty good. As I said before, is sometimes translated as compassion and also bears a broader meaning such as to show pity, to love, to show mercy, and to be moved. And I want to take a quick tangent real, real quick. And, and just to clarify, we use the Greek translation here because it is the original language of this scripture. To fully understand the word compassion and its meaning in the specific context, we have to go back and take it into the OG context of the Greek language instead of our Western English language. And so back to our conversation. Based on this Greek translation, we can understand that compassion moves us to action. It moves us to act on each of these exhortations that Paul is explaining to us. But what does compassion look like practically? Well, what better place to look than our Savior, He who is in the embodiment of compassion? Psalm 103:8 says, "The Lord is compassionate, gracious. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love." When we look at how Jesus interacted with Peter or any of the 12 disciples, Mary Magdalene, and every person who was healed by him physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, it screams compassion. But let's take a moment to reflect on how Jesus has been so compassionate to us. Think back to a time where you knew you did something you shouldn't have done, or a time when it felt like everything was going wrong, the world's crumbling in on you, guilt and shame ripping you apart on the inside, and you just don't know what to do or say, but you feel terrible. Now in that same moment, picture Jesus being physically with you. What does his face look like? What his face looks like to you in that moment tells you a lot about who you know God to be. But I can guarantee you this. Our Jesus, his face does not say that he is angry or disappointed or upset. Instead, I know he just has this warm, soft, and inviting smile on his face. Then Jesus comes up to you, wrapping his arms around you and telling you, I am here. You are forgiven and you are my beloved. That is compassion. As we have received compassion from him, we are called to share that with others. We can make the choice to do so and hope that as we show compassion to others, they receive our compassion and the compassion of the Father as well, and in turn come to know God for who He truly is. Now, some of you might be thinking, and what if they don't, Armand? What if the people we interact with don't experience Him or come to know Him for who He truly is? 
Well, there's good news. It's not our job to save. It's his. I love this quote again by Tyler Staten. He says, Our success as followers of Jesus is not based on conversion, but on our willingness to care. Would we be willing to care? Would we take time to listen to those around us, to show love to those around us? Would we care by proclaiming and declaring the love of Christ, not forcefully, but fearlessly? Paul even mentions this later on in Ephesians 6. But I think sometimes this is something we all get twisted at one point or another. We are not called to convert people, but to love people. Yes, our hope, of course, is to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. After all, we have been sent to go and make disciples. But when us being sent into the world to make disciples becomes more of a checked box than an opportunity to love and show compassion to others, are we truly being obedient? To what God has called us to do. When Jesus talks about the greatest commandments in Mark 12, he does not tell us, hey, go convert people to Christianity. No, he says to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Armand, so Paul is telling us to do a lot of things here, and it all sounds good, but how? How can we go from this place out into the world and make disciples if we continue to fall short? When we try to do good and just can't, how can we do everything Paul is telling us to do here in this passage? Well, there are two verses in this passage that subtly tell us the how of everything Paul is talking about here. Ephesians 4, verses 20 and 21, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In his commentary, Dr. Constable said this about this, this, in his commentary, Dr. Constable said this about the entire passage of Ephesians 4 as a whole. He states, Paul is telling us how to attain a spiritual walk, namely, a life that manifests the Holy Spirit's control. The church of Ephesus did not learn how to follow Christ by natural mental process, but by taking time to get to know him and build a relationship with him. In John 15, verse 4, Jesus tells us, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We cannot bear any of that without abiding in Him. The fruit of the Spirit will come naturally if we are in the Spirit. Thankfully, God has provided us with many ways to abide in Him. 
We can and should take the time to talk to God in prayer, read his word, Sabbath, fast, serve, and worship him. But it is just as important to take time to listen, to take a moment to be in silence and solitude. I mean, what is a relationship if it doesn't go both ways? What is a conversation in prayer if it doesn't go both ways? Because when we focus more on the fruit than the person, the one, Jesus, it becomes more of a religion rather than a relationship. We can know how to do all Paul is telling us to do here in this passage if we take the time to be still and know he is God. Psalm 46, 10 says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Taking a moment to recognize and appreciate the presence of the one you get to be in relationship. The reason any of us are here today, acknowledging he is here and now. This is essential to our walk as we go from this place. So this leads me to my last point. Stop trying to do. Be still and know he is God. All we do, all Paul is telling us to do, we can do it because he is God, because of his grace, goodness, and love. Because all we are and all the things we do are rooted and being still and knowing he is God. After all, we are human beings, not human doings. Doing is not gonna do it. Doing is not going to do it. Being still and allowing the one who can will. In Romans 7, Paul talks about his struggle of wanting to do good, but ends up doing what he doesn't want to do. He says in Romans 7, verses 24 and 25, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the Holy Spirit who not only changes us and what we do, but the way we do things as well. And so even when we fall short, we can have hope knowing that as we put our faith in him, he will deliver us time and time again. God is the only reason I'm here with you all today. Time and time again, he reminded me of who he was and delivered me. Do it again, God. Do it again. A few weeks after that summer night, I was texting a buddy of mine and explaining how I was feeling in my walk. Hey, bro, I feel like I'm trying to do too much. Like I can't do anything right. And I just don't know what to do. My friend texts me back and he says, yeah, I know the feeling all too well about being Martha. May the Lord help us to be Mary sitting at his feet. Now, let me be honest with you. When I got the text, I was like, Martha? Mary? 
Who is he talking about? I don't know these people. What is he talking about? And then it clicked. In Luke 10, it says that Jesus and his disciples came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So Jesus comes in and sits down, and Martha is scrambling to prepare her house for Jesus. Right? She's probably trying to clean up and make a nice meal for him. Meanwhile, Martha's sister, Mary, is just sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. And Martha gets upset. She's like, what the heck? Jesus, aren't you going to say something to Mary so she helps me? But Jesus is like, no, she is doing what is better. What is better. While there is a time and a place to do things, sometimes he just wants us to sit at his feet and be with him and listen. To be still and know he is God. And so this is where we're going to land for today. I heard this cliche saying in a sermon a few days ago, but it goes something like this. Without him, we can't. Without us, he won't. It is a joint effort between us and God to practice his presence. As we are aware of our brokenness, as we choose compassion, and as we take time to be still and know he is God, we see the practice of his presence in our lives. We can go from this place, from our community, trusting and knowing that as we live our lives, people will not just see the good we do, but the good God who does the good in us. And where his presence is, his kingdom will also be. I'm sure you know or you've heard of the Lord's Prayer. And in it we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. But where? Where does his kingdom come and his will be done? 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that, the, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So I propose this question. Would we make ourselves available to be where his kingdom comes? You see, it's not just in the walls of the harbor or any other church or building where God's presence resides, but it's in us. So while the kingdom may come here in this place, it's not just here. It's not just in our church, but it's everywhere we go as we walk. Well, I loved, loved, loved that word from Armand specifically about doing versus being and being versus doing and just that dichotomy that I think oftentimes we as followers of Jesus, we oftentimes can get caught up constantly doing the work for Jesus. 
And I think sometimes, and, and, and Armand alluded to this, that we can miss being with Jesus. He shared in his time with us about the story of Martha and Mary and about how uh, Jesus was coming into town and he was coming to Martha and Mary's house and Martha was working incessantly. She was making sure everything was ready to go. She was making sure, as a good host would be doing, that everything was right, that everything was the way it needed to be. And Martha and Mary, I'm sorry, not Martha, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. She was being with Jesus. And I think this story is so indicative of our culture. We're constantly doing things. We're constantly moving. And I think sometimes Jesus just wants us to sit and to be in his presence, to be with him. As we go from this place, oftentimes just being with Jesus is as important as doing the things of Jesus. I, I, I heard once Israel Houghton, he's a worship leader. He was being interviewed by a pastor, his name's Chad Veach, on a leadership podcast. And, uh, he said something that was remarkable to me, and I hold it dear to my heart. I hold it dear in my head as a constant reminder of who I am. Israel said this to Chad. He said, sometimes we can do the, the work for the Lord and yet miss the Lord of the work. We can do the work for the Lord and yet miss the Lord of the work. In the process of doing things for Jesus, we can miss Jesus. And so I, I hope, I pray that as you listen to what Armand had to say today, as you listened to what he had to declare, that you would start practicing what it looks like to be and spend time with Jesus. Maybe that's in silence and solitude. Maybe it's in just the quiet of your apartment or your car that you would just spend time with Jesus. Man, I hope you, again, were encouraged by this word. And I hope that today or tonight or wherever and whenever you're listening to this, that you can start practicing his presence and spending time and being with Jesus. Hey, we're not done this week. We're going to release another episode to get caught up. So tomorrow, which is uh, which will be Friday, if you're listening to this on a Thursday, uh, we're going to release another episode, and um, we're going to be starting a new journey, discussing what it means to follow Jesus. When he calls the disciples, he says, follow me. And when he called us into that life, he said, follow me. And so we're going to discuss what it looks like to follow Jesus in the midst of the Sabbath rest. We're going to look at some statistics regarding anxiety, depression, worry, the physiological and psychological responses our body gives when we do not have rest and when we do have rest. And so I look forward to sharing that on later on this week. Make sure you are on the lookout for that. And again, I hope you enjoyed this time together with Armand. Love you guys. We will see you next time on the Continuing the Conversation podcast. I'm out.